Hello, everyone, and welcome to HubSpot's Unconventional Business. A show about how Australian and New Zealand brands are growing and winning by putting the customer experience first. We're talking with leaders from our best homegrown brands about their journey, the decisions they made along the way, and their biggest learnings. I'm James Gilbert. And I'm Kat Warboys, and we'll be your hosts this season. Now let's get into the show. Hey everyone, it's Kat here and today's episode is slightly different. It's a live recording from Grow, HubSpot's flagship event in Australia and New Zealand. I caught up with Toby Pierce, CEO and co-founder of Sweat. Let's get into the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Unconventional Business, the podcast live at Grow. I'm Kat Warboys and I'll be hosting today's Fireside Chat and I am very honoured to be joined by Toby Pierce, CEO and co-founder of Sweat. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting. I think a lot of people and many of the listeners today have heard of uh, the Bikini Body Guide or um, Sweat and may even be regular users of the app. Um, for those in the audience, though, who may be new to the Sweat story, however, um, it's a really incredible story. It's really a journey that began back in 2014 when Adelaide-based Toby Pierce and Kayla Itzings started what was known as the Bikini Body Guide, which was, of all things, an ebook uh, featuring a series of workouts for people to follow along. And for want of a better phrase, it really took off. Uh, and following that initial success, they released their Sweat with Kayla app. If we fast forward to today uh, and the evolution of that guide, Sweat has become one of Apple's most downloaded health apps globally, which is no mean feat. And in July of this year, Sweat was acquired by US fitness tech company iFit. So with all of that movement, that whole journey, we are very lucky, of course, to be joined by Toby today. Toby, there is a lot that we could cover today, but I guess if we were to start, you know, where all good stories start at the beginning, I would really love it if you could paint us a bit of a picture as to what the fitness landscape really looked like back in 2014. And what was it that caused you to kind of see an opportunity in the industry? Well, thank you for the very generous introduction. (laughs) I feel like I've got got to to say a little bit now to try to make sure I can (laughs) validate validate all that. But um, no, look, um, uh, the, the fitness industry has undergone a massive change you know, over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, and I think you know, Keller and I, are very, at the very beginning of our journey, were both personal trainers, you know, doing what any other personal trainer was doing. Um, and you know, the, a, a few things were incredibly obvious at this point in time. Um, you know, one of them was that the, you know, the products and services, you know, largely retail, you know, so big box gyms and also at that point in time sort of 24-7, you know, um, uh, gyms were, were very underserving the female market. Like that was just, yeah, absolutely. It was just very, very obvious. Like it was all, you know, even down to like the colours and equipment choice and all this sort of stuff. Like it was largely, um, you know, largely a male, male dominant market. Um, and I think as well, you know, the, you know, the proliferation of, uh, you know, internet and probably even more so kind of at that point in time, you know, the beginning of this massive acceleration curve for mobile, you know, more specifically, um, you know, really was this massive sort of a gaping opportunity that not a lot of, you know, um, brands had really entered into. And so you had this industry that had a, you know, the young mobile digital audience that were basically being incredibly underserved on, you know, one side of the playing field. Um, the products that were being delivered were mostly, you know, I often refer to the fitness industry like a C or D grade industry, like the products are actually mostly average. There's no real premium product and service that's broadly available to the market. 
Um, well, there wasn't at this point anyway. Now there's, there's a couple. Um, and I think probably lastly, you know, on top of that, uh, and maybe as a result of, um, you know, the market, you know, specificity or lack thereof for, for the female audience, the, you know, the branding and pitching and you know, the stigma surrounding fitness in general was very, um, uh, you know, uh, p- politely in some ways kind of dystopian, you know, derogatory and demeaning, you know, to the, to the actual customer. So um, uh, just to provide context, what I mean with that, you know, instead of fitness being very much what it is today, which is about, you know, it's very health and well-being. It is holistic. You know, it includes the mind, not just the body. And the focus on the body is much less, um, you know, much less aesthetic. You know, it's more about like functional movement and well-being. Um, you know, in the early you know, 2010s um, and when we were, you know, doing what we were doing very early on, it was very much, you know, still this like draconian, you know, get abs in 30 days, be shredded. And then that's when you're a good human being. Yeah. Like, and, and that sounds really ridiculous. Like I understand how ridiculous that sounds today, but it, it, it's actually that that's literally the way that it was. And that was off the back of, you know, 20 years of infomercials, you know, largely out of America that then, you know, made its way to the rest of the, the Western world. And um, uh, I think, uh, you know, like a variety of different industries, you know, the products not really being incentivized by the customer because um, the fitness industry uh, different to a lot of other industries it, it's actually really hard to get the person to use the product buying it is one thing yeah but using it is another yeah it's come a long way in the narrative I think is what you're really tapping into and as somebody mm. with I think a love-hate relationship probably more just hate relationship with gyms <laughs> uh, you really tap into something there where it's like it was very male-dominated um, and I think uncomfortable to walk into a gym and you know feel intimidated yes intimidating is Mm. definitely the word um not just because of the people around you but also just not knowing what to do with half the equipment like so much um with that so yeah can definitely definitely resonate um and so I guess going into that digital age um and you know trying to tap into that audience did you anticipate the reaction that the bikini body guide ultimately had at the time uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. So, you know, very early on, we were you know, running like a boot camp version of our product, you know, literally in parks. Right? <laughs> yeah, we would have 20 or 30 women show up in the morning, we'd run a group boot camp, um, same training, right? And we were, you know, after having done that for quite some time and having quite a lot of members, we're very confident in a few things. And, you know, that was sort of, the, I mean, first and foremost, the product was good and you know, what does good mean? Well, the customer likes it, you know, and that it ultimately serves the value proposition that the customer is after. Um, and so when we converted that into the digital world, I mean, we couldn't be sure how that would materialize online, but conceptually we were still quite confident that the product was actually, it would do what the customer wanted it to do. Whether or not it was delivered well, you know, was a different thing. And yeah, you know, we had, you know, some wins and losses with eBooks and, and images and videos and whatever over time. Um, but so there was some confidence in, I guess, our capability for fitness, but not so much confidence and capability for you know, online, which we obviously developed over the years. Yeah, absolutely. There's one thing in having the product, but then the distribution is a whole other part of that. And I guess with yeah. that, you know, was there a moment in time where, you know, some kind of event or milestone where you were like, no, we're on to something with this? Yeah, I, I would suggest it was probably a whole bunch of things over time. Um, I mean, I... Yeah, I would love to be able to suggest that. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm probably any business journey, but definitely in ours. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to be able to suggest like, oh, there was this one moment where we're like, wow, like we're going to win and it's going to be great. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it, unfortunately, like most of the time, what actually happens in reality is you have a really big win and then immediately after you're like, oh crap, something just blew up. You know, like business is very um, non-linear, you know, like in terms of its experience. Um, and, and often, you know, the, the business progress that you think is progress is actually not progress. <laughs> and you realize that, you know, much later in your career. But I mean, there was a few pretty amazing moments that we had along the way. Um, uh, you know, a collection of these was centered around, uh, we, we traveled the world quite a few times, um, you know, running like uh, in-person fitness events, you know, boot camps like we used to, but very, very big ones, um, uh, big being sort of, you know, many thousands of people. Um, yeah, and we, uh, some of these moments were, you know, like meeting some of the audience members who would, you know, sort of be in tears because there was so much, you know, emotion and value tied behind the results that they were able to achieve as a result of using our product. And, um, you know, I mean, we're quite a purpose-driven organization. We've always been a very purpose-driven business. Um, it, that, that's just quite surreal. You know, you meet these people with like literally fascinating stories about their life. And for us, like we're just doing what we're good at. We're just writing workouts and selling it. You know, but you've got these people that are just, they're literally over the moon um, and, you know, highly emotional in a positive way, you know, about the experience they've had with your product, um, which I think not every business in the world can actually say that, you know, like, and that I'm not saying that to be impolite to other organizations that are bigger, better, whatever. But I think that the emotional value that people hold to their health and well-being is just so huge. And so, you know, running those events and meeting some of the women along the way was, was, you know, beautiful experience. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a huge part to that in the way you've, you've built a community, which I, which I want to come back to. But I think just going back to your point, you know, around on the gyms and things like, did it ever cross your mind, you know, very easily sweat could have been a chain of gyms, you know, optimized, more friendly for women. Was it so obvious to you following the success of the, of the guide that, you know, an app and a subscription model was the way to go versus say a chain of gyms? How did you think about that? And the next step after the guide at the time? Yeah. Um, oh, look, I, 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 I did gyms earlier on in my career and I was surrounded by a lot of people that did gyms and, um, I think, you know, because of the experience that we had early on with digital um, and, you know, despite how old I feel, I'm still in that age bracket where mobile was a really big thing as I was growing up. I think um, for a variety of reasons, I think the appeal of digital scalability um, and also importantly, the relevance of that to our audience at the time um, was in many ways like magnet, you know, magnetic um, and, you know, it was very much luring. So, I mean, we we with the ebook you know we i think we did a tremendous job you know selling ebooks early on um but it ultimately wasn't really like a scalable business model for what we wanted to achieve and frankly i think the product wasn't you know good enough so early on for us uh, you know like i mentioned you know having a digital product at all you know the the pitching branding and positioning of the product and then the focus on our market were really big wins for us but then later in that journey as mobile became kind of um in my opinion at the time, unavoidable, you know, and subscription was, you know, beginning as a, as a business model. And I say that, um, I say that, you know, like with a grain of salt, I mean, subscription business has been around for ages, but I think like, you know, like digitally and mobile and direct to consumer of this audience, it wasn't, you know, really a big thing at the time. So I think, yeah, when we moved to that in late 2015, that was, that it was, it was seemingly obvious, um, and I, I believe it was very much the right decision at the time. We did a horrendous job of it and it almost destroyed the business. Um, but, and we obviously ultimately figured it out, but um, I think it was, yeah, in many ways, quite obvious at the time. Yeah. It's so easy to kind of look at the journey you've been on and be like, oh, it's just this linear 
uh, journey to success, but I can imagine only the things that happened along the way. Um, but you're exactly right. You know, mm. subscription models were, aren't necessarily anything new, but we are seeing them be adopted by brands and products you just wouldn't expect, like toilet paper from Who mm. Gives a Crap to vitamins to wine um, and other established yeah. brands. And even within the fitness industry, right, subscriptions were pretty much part and parcel of, of your gym membership. Mm. Um, so just kind of dig in into that a little bit more. What were some of the things you had to think, you know, and be really thoughtful about when you were creating more of a, a digital and that app experience um, for the yeah. subscription? Well, firstly, so I'm a really big fan of business in general, like as in I could just talk about stuff for a long time. So I'll try to you know, provide <laughs> things that are relevant to you know, while we're here. And a lot of this is obviously centering around the customer. Right. And so, you know, and how do we how do we bring the customers to the front of discussions and how do we ultimately you know, be like a customer first or in our case, we refer to them as members. So member first organization. Um, and so I think for us, you know, the the most obvious thing you know, for many years that has remained the most obvious thing is effectively like how, how can we actually get value to people? And that sounds like a really like simplistic vanilla statement. Um, yeah, but for our organization, as you peel the way, peel away the layers in that, you actually realize that it's probably the single most complex thing. Um, you know, so in a subscription business, um, yeah, from a psychology standpoint, you can quite easily put together well, if someone can see money coming out of their bank on a recurring period, let's call it monthly. Um, when they see that come out, there's a reaction to that. If they're not using the product or perceptively deriving value from the product, and value is a very loose term, right? But whatever the value is, um, if they're not deriving value from it, you know, the likelihood that you're keeping that person for a long time is very low, right? And so in our product, you know, the ability to get value to a member is largely centered around actually getting them to do a workout. Getting a person to do a workout is really hard. <laughs> like it is really, I can really hard. To that. <laughs> yeah, um, and it, and it sounds so fascinating because it's like who downloads a fitness product, opens it, signs up, starts a trial without the intent to do a workout. Well, not many people, right? You know, so our you know big problem, and hence the biggest opportunity in our business, and the singular focus we've had literally for like the last five years has been well, like. How do we get really, really, really good at getting people to what we refer to internally go from zero to one? So like we literally have like cross-functional product teams, you know, data teams and whatever people like focusing on literally just doing analysis and tail out on this zero to one opportunity. Like it's literally coined in our organization. It's probably, we probably spend 80% of our time talking about it. You know, and, and, and over time that has never really changed. It's just really been our approach and our insight and understanding to, you know, peel the layers away uh to ultimately help us not only improve the metric um but you know drive more revenue value from our customers whilst providing them more value over time yeah it's often made a simplistic statement you know we just need to drive value for customers but it's often <laughs> not achieved by many i think our co-founder damesh is the one to actually say most companies say that they're customer first but most are just mm. customer eventually um yeah so yeah. i think that that rings very very true in a number of ways Talking about your customers and switching to the gears a bit to your community, you know, you've got an incredible global community of health and fitness enthusiasts. Mm. I think uh, across the brand and the trainers that you have within the brand, there's like 50 million followers, which is a huge <laughs> number of people. And on one yeah. hand, I imagine that creates a really special opportunity to build relationships, to receive feedback that can help you make that product better for your customers. But also, mm. I'm guessing it would also come with its challenges and how do you scale a community to that size 
without losing, you know, the um, authenticity of the brand and, and that value in the relationship you've been able to drive um, over the years. You know, even just thinking about managing the scale of customer feedback, for example, uh, must be a challenge. How have you thought about that experience with customers, that authenticity of the brand to connect as you've scaled and as you continue to scale? Yeah, um, look, it's a, it's a really, really, really big topic. You know, um, I think also as well, because um, you know, not only just because there's a lot of people, but you know, like social media, um, or, or maybe if we zoom out a layer, so like customer communication. And for us, as, as your remark goes on to suggest that you know, our social following is quite large, it's very disparate, you know, multiple platforms, multiple different accounts, multiple groups and subgroups, like, you know, um, yeah, I think after a while you accept basically that you're never going to touch every one of the customers, you know, digitally, you're never going to be able to communicate with all of them. Um, I mean, you could, but it'd be highly uncommercial to do so. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think for us over the years, what we've, what we've you know, tried to focus on creating, um, you know, what, what actually matters like, and, and again, sorry, I use lots of these words, like broad sweeping, simplistic statements, but you know, like when we look at, you know, customer relations, like what actually matters, you know, and, and when you would look at that, well, like what contact do we have with customers about what topics, how do we group that or, you know, create a taxonomy to represent that and prioritize that? Because if we accept that we're never going to be able to have constant communication or at least responsive and reactive communication to all of them, well, what do we want to be reactive about and what do we want to be proactive about? You know, so uh, once you kind of answer that question and you realize the value that they're seeking to get from you, but also importantly, the value that you can get from them, you know, in terms of feedback and all of this, you know, spending time creating a really sound feedback loop into your organizations and for a business that's structured the way that we are, um, you know, getting that feedback into, you know, our marketing and performance teams, um, you know, and our product teams and technology and such to allow us to adapt and, you know, change the product along the way um, is really important. Um, because a lot of the time, you know, the customer feedback is not static, like it's not one way forever, right? Because obviously what should happen is you should receive, in this case, you should receive feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, you should ultimately iterate the whole organization, like not just a function, it's the whole organization's knowledge base of that, you know, um, put out in our case, product content, you know, different positioning for our brand, whatever it may be. Um, watch it again, you receive it and go like, it should be a continual process and cycle. It's not like a, um, I mean, the, the example you get before, it's not customer eventually, we don't do it once a year, you know, we're doing it every day, all day, every day, you know, like it's a, I'd suggest it's more of a, it's a philosophy for an organization rather than just a function. Like I know CX and qual research and all the, there's these different streams that exist in a lot of organizations, but like having it as a function to your point earlier, having it as a function is one thing, but just having it like principally and philosophically integrated to the whole organization, leadership or management down, I think is really important. Um, have we done that perfectly? I would not say that we've done it perfectly, um, but yeah, I think we try really hard to do it. So. Yeah, and it's a really interesting point. And, you know, just on that, are there certain things that you do within the company to try and make sure that that, I guess, voice of the customer is coming through like loud and clear, um, whether it's feedback, um, you know, is there anything you've mm. implemented or just a part of the way you guys operate to try and bring that through? Yeah, um, there's, there's lots. And maybe I can just provide a few examples that are in some ways, they're probably seemingly insignificant, but they really represent that it's like highly integrated to our business. So, 
you know, we have um, you know, like a weekly newsletter that goes out to all of our staff digitally. You know, um, we have, we, you know, almost every week we have customer highlights in there, like just nice emails, nice comments, whatever it is. They don't really serve a key purpose other than, you know, again, bring customer front and, you know, front and forward facing. Um, we, yeah, we have monthly like town halls, which we call Sweat Connects. Um, yeah, and very often, you know, we have, um, you know, like member stories, we'll reach out to a member, they'll film themselves telling their story about their journey with our product. And we play that to the whole organization and provide, you know, insight on it. Um, yeah, at our MBRs, uh, like monthly business reviews, uh, however different companies name them, but we call them MBRs. Um, yeah, like voice of the customer, you know, member support, member research, sit like very often right at the front, you know, of that, like, you know, in and integrated with, you know, our product and content and marketing streams, and they're regularly focusing on the way through. Um, yeah, each of our key project streams, you know, whenever we launch content, a new feature, you know, or a new marketing campaign, every single one of them has like customer sentiment and feedback and analysis done on that. Like it's, like I was saying before, it's not so much just like having a person or a function in the business that waves the customer flag and screams from the top of the mountain. It's like, you know, it's literally down to a newsletter, you know, that goes out that is seemingly insignificant, you know, right to the recurring formal governance and control meeting that we have that drives performance in the business it's everywhere along that spectrum. And it's not just by one person. It's, it's an expectation that we have across most leadership roles. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I really loved about uh, what you just said is when it's not one person, customer feedback or sentiment isn't one person's job. It's kind of like embedded in the, in the company, which is, which is mm. really awesome. I guess, you know, just thinking about the market in general, there's just so many fitness apps now, all of a sudden, <laughs> um, from sort of the big, obviously fitness apparel brands all the way to like, you know, influencers like Chris Hemsworth's app, um, and yeah. more, it feels like continue to enter the market almost daily. Sometimes it feels like, I guess when the market <laughs> starts to get flooded in this way, you know, points of differentiation become increasingly important. You know, what do you feel like you guys have achieved or created that kind of sets you apart and gets people choosing you ahead of your competitors? It's an awesome question. I think, uh, I mean, for any industry, any time, but you know, very specifically, it's hyper relevant to fitness right now. I mean, the amount of money that's been invested into the fitness industry and more specifically like the digital landscape for fitness uh, is like just inconceivably large, you know, over the last five or so years. Um, you know, whether it be to your point by your know, um, larger corporates or strategic players um, or even just the, you know, venture and uh, venture capital, um, you know, end of the spectrum. Um, I think from a differentiation standpoint, to, to hyper simplify you're, you're really looking at that you either simplify, uh, so you either differentiate via product or market or both. And that's like a really, you know, top line, again, sweeping vanilla statement, right? But, you know, either your product has different feature sets or, or your brand um, and organization is going after a different market or a combination or variation of the two. Um, I, I think for us, as I mentioned before, you know, our like critical focus on women, um, you know, has served us well for quite a while. Um, I think more, you know, like tactically, you know, we have um, content providers in our platform that are exclusive to us, which is not actually best practice in the fitness industry. Like in the fitness industry, a lot of trainers will work at multiple gyms, they'll run classes in multiple locations, or they'll have multiple digital content stream relationships. Like there's, there's a variety of them. Um, and that is kind of very often occurred because they can't generate revenue enough for them individually, you know, from a single stream of work. So they do multiple. Um, so for us, I mean, we were able to find a way to make that work. And as a result of the exclusivity, that's always been a really, really big driver for us, um, you know, over time. But I mean, 
the, these things change as well, you know, like as, as an organization grows and matures. I mean, like very early on, we were so quick to the mark on subscription, um, but then we actually got very quickly overtaken by the large organizations because their amount of capital they invest is so much bigger. So then we have to get sharper on what we're focusing on specifically, you know, so it changes over time. Again, you know, to, to I think our shared remark earlier, it's never, ever a linear experience. I can't believe how quick time is going. Um, so while we've got some minutes left, um, something our audience loves to hear about from our guests is, I guess, personal learnings and lessons over the years. Um, so yeah, one question sure. I have for you there is, you know, things have come a long way since the ebook um, of the Bikini Body Guide, um, where people were, you know, printing printing stuff off and taking it to the park. Um, yeah. How do you think about innovation broadly and you know where do you go to learn or who do you learn from and and where do you get that inspiration for your own self yeah. and, and the brand i have potentially had like a really depressing view on this <laughs> yeah and that is that uh, i mean so the, the the headline of that probably is i i would um politely you know disagree with the you know massive um, you know, publication of this broad you know, use of the word innovation. Like, I, I just disagree with the concept that the world talks about. Yeah, you know, a lot of, I, I would, I would suggest, you know, that a lot of what happens in the world is actually just iteration. It's high velocity iteration of something that is already in existence. Um, if you look over time, historically and very much recently, like the large, the large wins in in business and commerce typically have actually occurred from business model innovation. You know, more than they've actually occurred from like let's innovate a product right um you know like even some of the things i suggested before it was in um if we look at you know organizations like uh you know netflix and spotify like they haven't from a technology standpoint built anything that is brand new they've brought together existing technology but the business model has been quite innovative you know moving from uh, you know, borrowing DVDs or going to the cinemas, like paying one single fee to get access to tens of thousands of pieces of content. Like that's a business model innovation, right? It's not necessarily a product innovation. All the product stuff is just iteration. And, you know, I think in terms of looking for inspiration, I mean, the, the central pillar of a lot of what's being discussed today is this notion of like customer, like all of the answers are in the customer. They're all, the answers are always in the customer. I mean, the business model and the business in general has to grow and evolve around that. But if you want to know where your innovation is, you know, where I'd say is just your you know, opportunity to iterate, you know, really, um, I'd just be spending a lot of time looking at the customer and, and talking to them. And, and very often that is in ways that a lot of people would not expect. You know, like a lot of people think you have to do paid market research and um, big surveys and get like an agency to do, you know, quant and qual analysis for you or whatever it's like. Go and talk to 30 of your customers. Take 30 of your customers out for coffee and talk about your product. And I guarantee you, you'll, you'll learn a lot, you know, about stuff for a hundred bucks, you know, a coffee, right? Um, and it sounds so stupid, uh, but like the value in that is massive. And, you know, when I mentioned the events before, we would have thousands of people come and I would and, and Kayla would very often talk to hundreds, if not thousands of these women on tour. And that was where we learned a lot of this, you know, game changing insight, right? If you want to, learn what to build just try to find people's problems it sounds too simple and not you know sexy enough just just chat to your customers yeah. but no that's, <laughs> that's it so we need to do people <laughs> yeah yeah uh, definitely it's been a big year for you and sweat uh i'd be keen mm -hmm. to understand you know what's changing for you as a leader since the acquisition and what can we expect next from sweat from a leadership position um uh, you know in, in short i'm just i'm getting a really fascinating opportunity to learn a lot at the moment um, 
uh, I mean, we've we've been acquired by an organisation that is just uh, they are massive, you know, um, uh, and you know they've done a lot of things that we've done. Um, they're seeking to learn some things from us, but then they've also just got decades of experience doing things that we've not done or not seen. And um, you know, I mean, I'm I uh, yeah, from a personal perspective, I'm just very passionate about business and learning in general. So this to me actually presents like an amazing opportunity. Um, just to, to lean into that and to learn. Um, I think from a you know, from an organisational perspective, you know what what should we expect to see? Well, um, I mean, there's a there's a big process obviously that goes on after you get acquired to you know bring the organisations together and um, to get all that stuff to work. But I mean, for us, you know, our, our central focus, uh, yeah, and again, going kind of onto what we've spoken about today is how can we continue to you know please customers? And I think that. We're just really excited, especially from a content perspective, um, you know, to work with our, you know, our new parent iFit to bring just like these phenomenal experiences to our audience that, yeah, frankly, we would not have been able to do if we didn't have that support and partnership from them. So it's going to be a really, really exciting next three to five years. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm revved about it. Yeah, sounds like all good things to come. Yeah. <laughs> we are sadly at time, um, which is annoying. I feel like we could have talked a lot more and gone into a bit more detail on things. But nonetheless, it's been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today at Grow and coming on the show. Toby, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me and uh, hope everyone got something out of that. Thanks for tuning in to HubSpot's Unconventional Business Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love you to subscribe and tell your friends, co-workers, you know what, tell whoever. Before we go, a shout out to our mates over at Audio Technica for bringing us today's epic sound quality. Whether you're after an awesome pair of headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on or a mic to start your own, Audio Technica has you covered. Head to audio-technica.com.au to check them out.